0: We are back, back for another episode of Letterman Jacket Podcast. Stumbled over it there, Garen. I was so excited to see you. The 16th episode of the Letterman Jacket Podcast ahead of Oklahoma's weekend visit from UCF. Number 16, Garen. Blake Smith on the Sooners. Back up tight end. No other, no no 16 on defense. Joe Montana, a a quality 16. Where does 16 uh, take your mind in, in the world of sports? Ooh,
1: 16 in sports, that's going uh, to require some thought. Does it have to be sports? Because exactly. when, I think, when I think 16, I think of 16 candles, because that makes me think of high school. That makes me think of dating my wife and, uh, well, my my girlfriend at the time. And that's, <laughs> that's, about, as, that's about as good as it was until so she became my wife, and then it got even better.
0: I've been told the key to a long and lasting marriage is, is to continue dating your wife. Right? Is that a? Would you co-sign that?
1: I would recommend that highly. Yeah, I would.
0: All right, I'll put I'll put that one in the notes and, <laughs> and put it in the back pocket. Uh, we're gonna talk Oklahoma UCF. We're gonna talk kind of looking at the Sooners back half of the season, kind of drawing out a wish list for Brent Venables. What he should be hoping happens for the Sooners over the next six games. We're gonna dive into some of the transfer, not so much trends, but but a dive into the the, the transfer guys they've added where they stand six games in and, and really what it says in a broader sense about what the Sooners are doing in terms of player development. But first, Garen, our friends, our sponsors, Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, Bob Moore Auto Group, and of course, couldn't forget, Fire Lake Arena. I asked Todd the other day if he could how long it would take him to grow his easy top beard. He said about a year and, and that speaking of partners, his girlfriend, no way would she let him, uh, keep the uh, the beard that long. So, no zz top beard for Todd Lisenby. However, zz top in the top Wa- uh, raw whiskey tour. The words today are hard. Man are uh, are coming to Fire Lake Arena. They'll be in Shawnee October twenty eighth. You can get tickets to firelakearena.com And weather's still nice. Fire Lake Golf. garen could I get you out on the links? Any chance?
1: Anytime soon? You need you need to put a plastic dinosaur. Uh, somewhere between the tee and the hole, and then I'll play golf with you. Maybe a windmill.
0: Okay. Well, maybe they fire like mini golf. Ideas, ideas. (laughs) Well, I don't know if they got mini golf, but they've certainly got good rates on on some discount golf this time of year, twilight rounds, all that. So head to com. Garen, we're back from the bye week. I don't know about you, but I miss, you know, seeing you Tuesday mornings and being at practice with you. And uh, we were back this week. And uh, Brent Venables, I take it he did some reading during the bye week. That's my biggest takeaway. Beat Texas and then hit the books because he quoted Aristotle on his coaches show Monday. And then quoted Sun Tzu in The Art of War. Uh, While speaking about Gus Malzahn yesterday, he came back, you know, feeling good. And he's got every reason to feel good as the Sooners head in as nearly 20-point favorites against UCF. Still unbeaten. Still have everything in front of them in terms of the playoff, all that. What were uh, your takeaways from from Brent's presser yesterday?
1: Oh, he was he was right on. Um, kept it, you know, the, the one and zero each week thing. I think we're going to get a lot of that as long as the team is something to know. It's going to be a lot of one and zero each week because uh, the you can't keep the outside world from from in, from seeping in a little bit. And OU is going to know not just its record, but its place in the conference, its place when the playoff rankings start coming out its place in, you know, bowl projections or playoff projections, that kind of thing. So the more matter-of-fact that Venables can be, at least outwardly, you know, sort of project a tone, sort of like we were talking about him projecting the week of the Texas game as being important, same thing goes for weeks that maybe don't quite have the same kind of zest. Uh, UCF's a big deal, obviously, for a couple of players, a couple of important players on OU's roster, as well as an offensive coordinator of note, but. Uh, this this doesn't have the same kind of zip that the Texas game does. Uh, so if if you can just you know sort of focus on the task at hand, be complimentary of, of of Plumlee, the quarterback getting healthy again for UCF, be complimentary of Gus Malzahn, but also uh, again to go someplace he's going to go a lot between now and December if this season continues on its plane, you know. Focusing on keeping the main thing the main thing that's, that's going to, I think, serve the Sooners well. Again, what, how they feel and what they say are two different things. But as long as you're projecting something, uh, it, it doesn't hurt to have that as sort of a tone setter for the locker room and, and film room and the team bus or meals or whatever else is going on over there. It's
0: I think, you know, it makes me think of what you could hear, whether you ask someone who was on one of Brent Venable's first defenses at Oklahoma or one of his guys right now at, after practice this week you'll hear that they always talk about they're not really preparing for an opponent, but preparing to a standard. Mm -hmm. And that's been, you know, when you hear it before they've maybe gotten a big win like Texas, you're just, you're hearing it. Um, But then you see it and it showed up against Texas and we're continuing to hear it now. That's really been the tone post-Texas is, all right, we haven't won anything yet. We beat Texas great, but we are not going to get away from what we've done Uh, not just this fall, but the last 12 months. And that's where Brent Venables went yesterday. He got asked uh, about the fact that, you know, had he noticed anything different about his team? And when he spoke about kind of where they've been and and keeping up what they're doing, he didn't talk about August 1 or September 1. It's been 12 months of all this. And and that is where they're coming at it from. And and for right now, uh, they've been proven right on every little part of it. So I I think that's going to have to be the tone. It'll remain the tone. And particularly because, you look at the schedule, there's not a, an individual opponent that, as we've we've hit on plenty here on the jacket that you say, "Man, this is the one they're going to have to get it up for." They are going to need to maintain a level to get through a, a relatively easy schedule over the back half. It starts with UCF. You mentioned not a lot of zest in this one. Knights are three and three in Gus Malzahn's third season. Uh, they're still they're scoring. Like a Gus Malzahn offense, and they've done it largely without John Reese Plumley, who's coming back this week, been out for the better part of four games with a leg injury. The Knights will have their starting quarterback back. They'll have their starting quarterback returning to an offense that's fourth in the nation in, in yardage. Uh, they're running the ball better than almost any offense in the country. They're scoring plenty. Uh, that's not the reason they're three and three, but there is a reason. It's the run defense, it's, it's the defense on the whole, and the fact that UCF is just not maybe at the levels it was at you know, certainly pre-Malzahn or you go back to Scott Frost. I think a lot of people think about Mackenzie Milton and, and the teams Dylan Gabriel played on at the start of his career. Of course, you referenced it. That's probably the big storyline this week is, is Dylan Gabriel and to a lesser extent Jeff Levy going up against their former program. But this is a, the first in a series of games that at least right now on paper don't present true excitement off the top, but are massively, massively important for the Sooners in so many ways.
1: Well, it's good for Venables in a way that Plumlee's back because that, that is an attention getter. I mean, he's a guy that has 4,000 passing yards, 2,000 rushing yards over a career that dates back to 2019. He's experienced, so he'll be able to diagnose what OU does defensively, I would, I would assume. He's, he's dangerous if he's healthy. I mean, if he's really fit. And they tried to play him against Kansas two weeks ago in their last game, and he lasted, I think, two series before. He said he felt something pop in that knee of his that he hurt against uh, Boise State back in September, and so I, I, I assume he's he's fine. I, did, I don't think there's any gamesmanship going on here. We'll find out, I guess, for ourselves on Saturday. Um, but the, the reality is, the, yeah, the UCF's got some deficiency, and it and really a lot of it has to do with with defense, and as well as the Sooners are playing offense, and assuming that they haven't forgotten how to do that in the two weeks since they last played. This is going to be a, a fun day and not just for Gabriel against his old program but really and you touched on it the a, a running game that I think everyone's been sort of waiting on much of the season. This this should be a a, a confidence building afternoon for Marcus Major and Tawi Walker. We'll we'll see if Gavin Sachuk gets thrown into the mix as well at that spot, but if if that's the one spot that has to come around for everyone uh around that program to feel really, really good about where this is headed, then here's an opportunity. I mean, three Kansas running backs, two of them went over 100 yards. The third got close the last time we saw UCF play football. And we know the Jayhawks can't run the ball. They're they're capable up front. They've got good backs. But Kansas isn't so good that they should be rushing for 400 yards on anyone. That's what they did against UCF. So this Plumlee's presence make this, makes this interesting. Malzahn makes this sort of interesting, but if the Sooners mind their business, then uh, we're going to be talking about much stiffer challenges here in the uh, in the few next few uh, few to several weeks.
0: I mean, if not now, when for the OU run game, right? right? Because UCF right. they're giving up almost two hundred yards per game on the ground, one hundred and twenty second nationally. They've leaked against run games all year, yeah, and it's been it's a big part of why they they've lost games. They they're three and three coming in here. The offense hasn't been the issue; it's been the defense. So this is a chance. Uh, A a note on the Sooners' run game: Brent Venables was asked this week about Javante Barnes. We haven't really gotten a lot of clarity. You know, Brent mentioned after the Iowa State game that it was uh, still that lingering issue with the off-season foot surgery that Javante sounded really optimistic about in August. looked fine, sounded fine. And it was the same this week from Brent where he was asked about Javante's ability to contribute over the back half half of the season health-wise. And possibly, and we're hopeful, were were the words that that came from Brent Venable. So I know a lot of you fans have been waiting on Javante Barnes, thinking he would be the guy that, by all accounts, from the sound of it, He's not in a place yet to be that guy. So I think it is going to be a heavy dose. Marcus Major, Tawi Walker, Gavin Sawchuk. And this is a week for them to get the run game going because uh, it's not going to get any better than this in terms of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Did note, you know, Brent was very complimentary of, of Gus Malzon this week. Someone he's familiar with. He's seen his offenses twice in the past. Uh, did think it was funny, you know, Brent spoke so highly of Gus uh and and then you look at the stats in the two games they've they've squared off Brent has completely owned them. Uh there was a game I think back in 2016 or 7 it was one of the two. They played in 16 and 17 while Brent was at Clemson. One of them featured 11 sacks for a Clemson defense. I think that was 2017. Uh and in neither game did, did Auburn go over 19 points. So bottom line is is and I'm, I'm sure Brent was genuine in it but in his and how complimentary he was. If you go back and look at the history, he's had Gus's number, and I, I think you know we can talk about trick plays. We can talk about what this offense does. This bodes as, as I think a pretty straightforward proposition for this Oklahoma defense, so long as John Reese Plumley doesn't come back uh, looking like Michael Penix or Caleb Williams or, or any of those other quarterbacks across the country.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is if if the if the guy that, in terms of dual threat quarterbacks, if, if the guy that you, you, you go back and, and know he's passed as a, as a dual threat quarterback is, is Emory Jones from Cincinnati, well, the Sooners handled him fine, right? I mean, he got, what, 250 throwing, maybe 40 rushing. Uh, offense scored six points uh, that day against the Sooners. And so he also threw two picks. And there's some, that's something else about Plumlee I'll, I'll mention. Yeah, he's dangerous uh, if, if he's healthy. Again, his his resume dictates that I, I understand, and and Venables and Ted Roof, anyone else, is right to be complimentary of him this week. Players are right to mention him as a as a worry source. But Eli, he also threw two interceptions in his first two games. Both his first two games, when he was healthy, against Boise and against uh, Gosh Kent State, I think is who they opened with. That's not great, right? I mean, that's it's a guy who is dangerous to both teams in, in, a, in, a, in a weird way. And this is now an Oklahoma defense that is opportunistic, right? It's not just that they're in the right place making the right tackle. They're taking the ball from teams. We, we saw them do that a few more times against Ewers against Texas the last time out, right? So, um, again, things can get weird. They usually do in college football this time of, of season. think the unexpected becomes not commonplace, but more more the norm but I, there's just so many ways this sets up well for, for Oklahoma. They, this is a defense that shouldn't be flustered. This is a quarterback that they're facing who, while dangerous, does make mistakes. This is now a defense that will take the ball from you if you give them the chance with mistakes. And, and besides the fact that uh, you've got an offense in sync working against a defense that is, is not up to, up to standard. And so we'll see what happens. But I, I can't really think of outside of Malzahn's wizardry and we'll see about that, I can't think of anything that I would just be up at night about if I'm I'm an OU player, coach, or fan all week.
0: Well, it'll be 11 a.m. Saturday morning, ABC game. Big one for the Sooners, I think less so on the opponent, uh, as we covered, but just in terms of kicking off the back half of the season and and everything Mm -hmm. that lies ahead of them. Garen, what do you think is on Brent Venables' nightstand now? He's through (laughs) with the art of war. (laughs) <laughs> and he's through uh, with his Aristotle. What's he reading? What's he reading now?
1: Um, what would he be reading now? I mean, way Faulkner, Kurt Vonnegut. How about Slaughterhouse Five? Hmm. Orwell. Maybe some Orwell, Nineteen Eighty Four, or Animal Farm, or maybe that he he might have already been assigned that back at Salina. Where would he go, Salina, <laughs> Salina Kansas? Central. Yeah, yeah. Salina Central. I was, I was, I was, mm-hmm. I was actually going to pinpoint the high school, but now I can't remember. So. Um I don't know. It's probably not what's the what's the series about the um what's the series about the uh oh I I'm not even gonna go there. Never mind. I'm sorry. Keeping oh, I know, it. North Dallas forty. Was that was that was that the movie or the book? I don't know. You don't know because you're you're twenty one years old. Um <laughs> let's see. Uh so I think maybe the book was called Semi Tough that became the huh. movie. Or was that the Burt Reynolds movie? Now I'm, now I'm way off track. I'll, I'll just so let keep you keep going. You asked me about reading something that I'm not literate enough to do. <laughs> you write so well. Well, that can be faked. Mm, I guess, evidently so. Yeah.
0: Well, we don't know what Brent Venables is reading. I think we do have a, <laughs> at least some feelings about what maybe should be on his, his wish list for the back half of this season. He's gotten this far. The Sooners have gotten this far. 6 and 0 We've hit on it, you know, in perfect contention and and positioned to to get to the conference title game, in position to chase the college football playoff in a second season. But there's still a lot between now and then. and, And certainly if they are going to be a team that can beat Texas a second time, if they were to see them in Arlington and a team that could, you know, do something, get out there and play a game, if they were to make the playoff, there's work to be done. So I'd like to ask you, we can we can start on your end. If you are filling out a wish list, if you were Brent Venables and he'd read all those wonderful books over the bye week, uh, what would be a top of your wish list? We can trade off.
1: Uh Get get Marcus Major or Tommy Walker a 200-yard game Saturday. Let's start there.
0: How about the special teams? I mean, the last time yeah. we saw the special teams unit, uh, and, and Brent certainly yeah. laid out how he felt about all of it, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to a blocked punt? Do you want to get go to uh, the, the the lateral that, did, that got called back. You want to go to the missed field goals or to uh, the getting beat on a fake punt. All of that, that's the stuff I think you've written about it already, Garen, but things that would burn the Sooners in an important game, mm-hmm. and whether that is uh, a game with championship stakes or a, surely they're going to play a close game here over the next yeah. six weeks. We can talk about the schedule, but there's no doubt they'll play a close game and those are the games where a punt that doesn't bounce the right way, right. a missed field goal, uh, a miss—you know—the the difference in thirty yards on a kick return. All of that, it'll come back to bite you in a close game. And there's no way that they're not going to be in one.
1: No, that's all. All of those are valid points. Um, I, and and you know, what's interesting is. They they do lack in in a lot of areas that and that were exposed down in the Cotton Bowl, but you know they've also they've also done some things. This is sort of symbolic of how the season has gone. They've also done some things on special teams that makes you feel hopeful that they're learning things that they weren't even a year ago. The Peyton Bowen block punts, uh, Gavin Freeman return, It feels like a while ago now, but what was that
0: SMU? That was, uh, was no, that, that was
1: State. That was the opener. Well, that's why it feels like a while ago, right? Um, <laughs> Do they have they settled on a punter? Not really. Didn't didn't they use both?
0: They use both, and I think they could potentially get away with using both. And with Josh Plaster is is kind of the distance guy, the the transfer is sort of the uh, you know, pin you down deep, and and they've had mixed results. Um, I I don't know enough about punting, and we don't get to talk to Jay Nunes, the special teams analyst, enough to know, you know, do you need to settle on one? Is it like quarterbacks? Is it like the the problem that Mike Gundy had up in Stillwater until he figured it out? If you have two punters? Do you have none? Is that a thing? I don't know. Um, but I, I think they've got to to get there in terms of um, maybe just figuring out the the, posi- the field position game. Do they want yeah. to have a punter who's going to, you know, hit 45, 50 yarders? Or is it is it more about pinning deep and, and maybe taking some more chances on, on Third and fourth yeah. downs around midfield, being more aggressive, um, but I, I do think sharpening special teams, and I'm am certain they spent time on that in the bye week. I think that's pretty critical.
1: Yeah, no, you're right, and it is going to be something that they're going to need. I think. Well, not I think I know before the season is over. Um, they, you know, and Brent ran ran down the laundry list after the the game, the the Texas game, as to what went wrong, where, and if you assume that he has fixed the the breakdowns in the other two phases of, of OU's team, I think it's okay to assume that enough attention will be paid and that the, the message will be better received this year than it was last, that anything breaking down on special teams will be fixed. Um, I again, I if you haven't identified your punter, it's probably a good time to do that. I, and maybe they can get away with too. i I'd rather not know who my punter is than my quarterback. In, in comparison to what my our friend Mike Gundy was going through a few weeks ago, Uh and yet I, I think you want to have faith that if if not making sure the guy gets gets it off in time, or that he doesn't shank something in the Big Twelve Championship game, that you have faith that the guy can what, what does the coach say flip the field is that that's the same there you right? go yeah and because special
0: teams it, analyst guarantee Emig. make
1: yeah yeah maybe yeah maybe you guys should be asking me questions instead of jay nunez when it comes to <laughs> you special teams problems but no i mean they get let's say they have that rematch against texas at jerry world um field position wasn't a huge deal in the cotton bowl but it it, it the odds are it, it will be more of a, of a thing in, in, a, in an even hot, hotlier, hot, hotter, excuse me, contested rematch, and so I'm thinking that something to watch between now and then, if you really want to drill down on one particular special team's flaw, is what do they have when they need someone to take OU from inside its 20 and put the ball inside the opponent's 20 with one with one boot. I don't know if they've got that right now, maybe they don't have that on the roster, but that would that would make me feel a lot better
0: another point they've made it to to here six weeks largely healthy i think it's yeah. kind of a given but overall health here is critical to everything they want to do and keeping the right guys healthy and, and just across the board staying healthy on a roster that is not deep enough to sustain really a whole lot more than they've already lost right
1: hmm yep uh Mentioned this in in a column uh, coming out of – what was it coming out of the Texas game uh, or during the bye week, and that was that there was one discernible difference between now and 2000, something that you've touched on since then as well. It's that this team already has been bitten uh, by the injury bug with Harrington going down on defense, Andrew Anthony being lost now on offense mccain um, Matoire out for a couple of weeks. Is that what we're thinking at guard? Yeah,
0: I'll say this. Um, we saw him on the practice field last mm-hmm. night after practice. No brace. We certainly can't know what he got up to during the practice session, but coming off the field and pads and all that, that would be encouraging to me if I were an OU fan. I, I do think it's going to be Caleb Schaefer who gets his shot mm-hmm. starting on, on Saturday, but interesting. I, I think it was on our, our airwaves here at Sellout Crowd where Brent was talking to Bob Stoops and said, uh, one week or at least a week or maybe a couple for mm-hmm. McCabe Matoyer. But the fact is, dodging, I think the, yeah. the most serious injury there is the key point with him.
1: Yeah, and everyone's going to have problems, right? I mean, Georgia references in, in, in the column, Georgia lost its, its guy that everyone thought of down in Athens was going to be the go-to running back. They lost him before the season ever started. So this, this isn't going to just be Oklahoma. That has to worry about this. Shoot, stuff. you
0: look at Georgia, Brock Bowers, and, arguably yes. the most effective exactly. NFL talent in the country, still playing college football. Yeah, he's going to be out for at least a month, maybe maybe longer. So, this is the story for every program in the country right, right. now.
1: You you just don't want to. Here is what you don't want. You don't want to lose guys where you don't have depth. And uh, as much as Venables has fond of the you know the term competitive depth. It does become important when you start to see guys go down. And if they were going to absorb a loss on offense and defense, they did it at positions where you had someone ready and willing to, to step in. When Justin Harrington was lost, entered DeSan McCullough at, that, at the Cheetah spot. When Andrew L. Anthony, We haven't seen it yet, but the assumption is because OU is so deep at wide receiver, they're not going to feel Andrew L. Anthony as much as if they'd lost, well, Dylan Gabriel, right? for
0: That's for, that's for starters, spot. yeah.
1: Yeah, or Andrew Raym even at center, if you want to talk about the offensive line. So we'll see. We'll see how they do without Anthony, but that's a deep position, at least.
0: Two more points. I think if you're Brent and you're writing out a list, I don't know if he's a list guy. I think he does like pros and cons and things like that. I don't know. What, I'd love to see his notes app, see what that's like. <laughs> but two more things for us. I think offensive line improvement, should be there. They've been very good to this point, and health is a big component there as well. But we've seen Bill Biedenboe's offensive lines get progressively better, typically in the second half of a season in the Mm -hmm. past. And this is a unit that I think has a lot of great parts in it, a lot of experience, has all the makings of being a probably a very, very good, maybe not elite, Joe Moore Award offensive line. But uh, while they've protected Dylan Gabriel pretty well, you'd probably want to see them get a little more push in the run game. They, they've got a part to play in, in the Sooners' struggles on the ground so far. So I think it's that, and then not, nothing you can really control, but it's health. It's, it's keeping this line healthy. It's figuring out probably a permanent guy at left guard. We've seen so much movement there, not really to, to the detriment of the Sooners, but between Savion Bird, Troy Everett, and, and Caden Green, um, you've had a lot of different guys playing in there surely if you're going to Arlington, you're going to want to have five settled guys. Hopefully you're healthy enough to do that, and hopefully someone has asserted themselves in in that spot because I don't think they've found their their starting left guard yet either. Mm -hmm. Another point, I think more pressure from the defensive line, right? We saw it against Texas, against what was supposed to be one of the best lines they faced all year. Season-best five sacks, tied for uh, for season-best eight tackles for loss, all that. Got to see it more. I think up until that (laughs) point, they'd done, Adequately, they stood out against Texas. The defensive line uh, would be another place to watch.
1: Yep. Well, and we we talk about all of this, and again, we'll we'll see where this goes between now and the first playoff reveal. But there's there's also going to come a time of year where the element of this is out of your hands enters into play. Right. If you start comparing resumes and non conference wins and strength of leagues. And what you do on the road and game, what's, what's the silly thing that the committee chairman always tells the media when they call them up after the reveal, game control, what, whatever that oh, means.
0: I'm not ready for those phone calls, Garen.
1: You better start, you better start prepping yourself, my man. Um, we're gonna have to start paying attention, not just, and I know that everyone here is, has at least one eye on USC for obvious reasons, but it's, it's not that the Trojans have sort of kind of been thrown off stride. Uh, I imagine that, that some of our discussions between now and, um, oh, I don't know, Thanksgiving will center around how the Pac-12 shakes out, what's going on with Oregon and Washington, if not Utah and USC, how the ACC shakes out with North Carolina and Florida State, Duke, how the Big Ten is up, what the Big Ten's up to with Michigan, Ohio State and Penn State. And of course, you know, there's always the SEC, even in a down year with still undefeated Georgia and surging, not surging, but getting a little better anyway, Alabama. So for everything that that involves OU's own house and the order of that house, there will come a day very soon where on this show or mine or, or any other uh, of our uh, talented teammates at Sellout Crowd, that is, it, the talk is going to leave Oklahoma even. And start to uh, start to really focus on what other light contenders are doing. If this if this goes national, and right now it looks like it's it, this is a season that's going to go national for OU.
0: Speaking of USC, so if you want to peel back the curtain on the glamorous lives we live, Garen, as journalist, <laughs> had a little time. Wasn't going to leave Norman yesterday between Brent's presser and uh, and and the post practice availability. Got some work done, did a few interviews, had 45 minutes to hit homeland. So I'm driving. From, uh, from the football stadium on Lindsay, right toward Homeland. Stuck behind for a few stoplights, a, a car with a USC license plate and a USC sticker and a decal, which can only lead us to believe that Lincoln Riley was back in Norman, Oklahoma <laughs> yesterday. Um, presumably, right? I can't think of any other oh explanation. My. This is Norman? I've, I've got photo evidence. I tweeted it out. I missed um, you. I'm sorry. I missed this. Well, but yeah, man. So I don't know. Uh, maybe that's, we're, we're sitting here talking. Maybe we should be chasing a story. Because um, that's the only conclusion I could draw. Uh, i have been the, Alex
1: Grinch seeing if he could get his old, if he could get an old, <laughs> not his old job, but on a job, right? When, for whenever that, that uh, shoe drops.
0: Special assistant to Ted Roof?
1: Wouldn't that be wild?
0: That'd be a story to write. That, uh, one yeah. more point on the college football playoff. <laughs> Where do you land on style points? You talk about game control and all the, all the silly stuff that I yeah. guess matters that we're going to be talking about, as you said, in, in a few weeks. Style points, game control. Oklahoma is not going to have probably the best resume. Right. When you consider, you know, Washington has Oregon, and you can, whether you want to compare that win and the Texas win for Oklahoma, Washington is going to have played many better teams mm-hmm. if they're going to get there. And one of the teams Oklahoma could be compared against. How much do you think style points in these next few weeks' games, like uh th- this weekend with UCF, are going to matter for the Sooners and building a resume?
1: Yeah, I would advise OU not not to not to go all seventy-seven nothing like that, like Bob Stoops once did on Texas A&M to get Mike to get Mike Lupica's uh, rather infamous attention on a sports reporter's episode the next morning. I don't know if that needs to happen, whether it's against USF or or, or someone else that that remains on the Sooner schedule. But yeah, you want to? I mean, you. I think it's it's okay to think that we are now past the halfway point of the year, or we will be as of Saturday, and final scores make a difference. They, they do, right? I mean, there are going to be a lot of people in that playoff committee room who will see uh, not just that you won, but how you won, and who stood out while you won. And uh, again, you're going to hear a lot of uh, tropes from the chairman and anyone else that's interviewed on the reveal show or on the follow-up teleconference with media like you and me. Uh, but, you know, their 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 brains function like ours. We're human. We see someone, we, we see a score, but not a game. And it's 67 to 6, as opposed to like, what, 38-24. I'm going to be a little more impressed with 67 to 6. That's just, I'm just maybe, maybe them being silly, right? But I, that's going to get my attention. And so, um, it, it's, we're, we're really not too early. I don't think to have arrived at not only, you know, when don't make it, you know, don't make it the central theme when you're, you know, getting ready to run out on the Owen field Saturday. You know, when we get a chance, we got to, we got to run it up on these guys. That's not, that's not the idea. But let's, let's be sure that, um, We've uh, let's be sure that if we if we want to go into the bench, <laughs> we've already posted a pretty good looking score. How about we say that? Right. And uh, and give those in the committee room, assuming you're thinking about that. And it's OK to think about that right now. If you're Oklahoma, give them some give them something to remember you by, because it, it this this will matter more and more as we progress. We might it might as well start mattering now.
0: Looking, I, I had to look it up at who the new uh, the chairman is now, the CFP. No, we're not going to be talking to Gary Barta every, uh, every Tuesday night. Boo Corrigan, NC State Athletic Director, is the new chair this year. Hmm. Might have actually been new last year. but We didn't have to worry about the playoff last year. We, yeah,
1: we not slept through day. that thing, didn't we, last year?
0: It's great. We had some rollicking Tuesday nights. Well, with a name like be-
1: Boo, he better at least be entertaining on those calls.
0: Goodness, you know the first uh, rankings are going to come out on Halloween.
1: There's some built-in jokes.
0: You think he, you think he's got a good sense of humor? Like if I came in and like, hey, boo, I got a question about Oklahoma, but first, uh, and then I played the monster mash. You think he'd have (laughs) a sense of humor? Like I get a little keyboard.
1: Surely anyone, whether that's his, the first name is. It's not really his first name, is it? What's that's got to be a. Let's find out. Okay, go go to the go to the page. But if 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 you're going by Boo, whether it's your real name or not, you do have a sense of humor, and you'll laugh, you'll laugh as long as well, right along with everybody else on the call. If, if you fire up Monster Mash,
0: Eugene yeah. Boo, Corrigan. I'd go
1: with Boo too. Yeah, that that makes <laughs> sense now. Boo knows? We just lost all of our listeners named Eugene. We we had a few, I bet, <laughs> before now. Sorry about that, Eli. All
0: right, we're going to dive into our kind of final topic here. And I want to start, we're going to talk transfers, but I want to start with the story of Jacob Lacey, who mm-hmm. probably, I think most OU fans would know, but he has not been, he's not, when you talk about defenders on this team, he's not Danny Stutzman, he's not Jaron Canick, he's not Gentry Williams or Woody Washington or Billy Bowman in terms of popularity and notoriety. But Jacob Lacey, the Notre Dame transfer, he's become a starter, uh, I think, the very least since Tulsa um and he's been there he made a huge play toward the end there with texas but over the summer he had a doctor tell him he might never play football again and had a doctor tell him he was stunned he was still breathing yeah um jacob described it this week it was a pulmonary embolism uh, spread of blood clots to the lungs he was at a graduation party over the summer um and began to cough up blood and made the correct decision he thought about playing it off instead and, and hopping on a plane and instead went to the ER and uh, received the, the attention he needed. But you know, Brent Venable said it yesterday uh, the, in his presser, the, the coaching staff was prepared to move on with, without Jacob Lacey. They figured he was not going to factor into the plans, and, and they were resigned to that. And now you look at him six weeks into this season, and he's a key contributor on a key unit now for the Sooners on this defense. I, I thought it was important. To, to share that story mm-hmm. it, it'll get written about i know it at, at selloutcrowd.com but um one of those stories where you, you takes you back to, to realizing that these are people who mm-hmm. play football yep uh and not solely football players but it is uh, an entryway into uh a, a discussion about the transfers that that OU brought in this year because it struck me that in brent venables when he spoke this week some of the names that dominated his press conference from jacob lacy to kendall dolby to caleb Schaefer all guys who are going to play roles Saturday and in the back half of the season uh, were transfers and guys that they brought in. uh, As I recall it, Jacob Lacey was like a Thanksgiving commitment last year. Uh, The the other guys came later, but point is they've not just hit in terms of quality on the field in the portal. When you hear this coaching staff talk about the guys they brought in, all of these guys fit into the mold Mm -hmm. of what, Brent Venables and his staff said they wanted in terms of the profile of players, the quality of person. Obviously, we don't know these guys personally, but the type of person and player they wanted to bring in at the first opportunity, really, in their first full-off season, that's who they they went and got. And if you run through the list from those guys to DeSan McCullough, to Walter Rouse, Andrew Anthony, DJ Terry, Reggie Pearson, they hit at an exceptional rate in the portal. And it's, it's paying off both in in performances on the field. And then when you hear Brent Venable speak about it, him saying, you know, he said, uh, I want to brag about our transfer guys, guys who came from different cultures in a college football world. That's very different. Brent used the word transactional for settling in and and really buying in. And I I thought it was a good time. This would be a good time for just a discussion on as much evaluating the uh, on-field performance as the the off-field fit with the transfers they brought in.
1: He's, yeah, no, Brent has, and, and this is something that we've alluded to in the past. Brent Venables has needed to change a lot of things from one year, his first year as head coach, to the next. And I think if you made a list of those things, working the portal to your advantage, it would have popped up somewhere. I don't know how high it, it might have been. Closing out close games, I think, would have been one uh that based on how, again, last season broke down. But now that we see the impact that the portal can make, not just on Oklahoma, but just about anywhere across college football, if, if a coach isn't on that and doesn't have a plus, when you, when, if, if, if there's always going to be a balance sheet, plus versus minus, when it comes to a coach and his the transfers out of his program and the ones he brings into the program, if he's not heavy plus, I don't know if he's got a shot to to uh, make any kind of uh, of a national dent, uh, conference championship dent and we we all thought i think based on just the names and the contributions that that Brent came out okay in year 2 of the portal it's now starting to i think dawn on a lot of us that he did a lot better than okay and that is that's something that needs to be credited to him and his staff in terms of identification in terms of, and in terms of fit you you're right it wasn't just getting you know you know, taking the roster of guys in the portal and saying, "I want the best," you know, fifteen to twenty. It was give me the best guys for what I need, whether it's a position, the defensive line being most obvious. Going back to Jacob Lacey, he started the segment with, or whether this is a guy of that I know enough to 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 be sure is going to elevate the culture, for lack of a better term. And I know it's a little bit of a cliched one, but Venable's is is about that. It's about feeling, uh, uh, feeling positive, about a developmental situation going on uh, in and out of in and out of football. And if, if for that to occur, he needs to feel positive about the guys he's bringing in, whether they're high school signees or portal guys. And to your point, just in our interaction, just in our conversations with uh, the vast majority of these portal guys, can see why he wanted some of these dudes. I mean, L- Lacey Sack against Texas was critical. And then you get to talk to him about his experience, literally a near-death experience, and you realize, yeah, I could see why this fits. Same as talking to Walter Rouse, uh, the former Stanford lineman, or McToyer, the former Cal lineman, or McCullough, the former star at Indiana. Um, it, it's sort of Brennan Thompson so cool about his experience in Austin and it not being the right fit for him and why he thought Oklahoma was a better one. I mean, these are guys who can do some things on the field to help you out and have helped, clearly. Brent Venable's out a lot from one year to the next. But yeah, Jacob Lacey is is another example of, yeah, that makes sense. And it makes more sense the more the team is successful with these guys in the places they're in. It becomes more obvious how much more sense it makes to us all. And that, that is a complete credit not just to the guys that, that are being brought in, but the coaches who identified the guys and knew that this was going to work out.
0: Yep. And you, you know, there's going to be a point, this is, Brent has made it clear. He wants this to be a developmental program. Mm-hmm. They're going to build through high school recruiting, but there's no debating that whether it's year two or year 20, well, who knows 20 years from now, what college football look like year five, the transfer portal is still going to matter mm-hmm. and they're going to have to hit there and, and fill holes that way. And so this is a a really strong and encouraging early return. But, but in speaking on that, I'm looking at what he had to say uh, this week, you know, he said, we're working really hard to protect the culture in our locker room. And a big part of that was um, in a neutral way, uh, flushing out the guys who belonged and who didn't after last year. Right. Some of that uh, happened naturally through graduation and the portal, whatnot, but it was doing that and keeping around, let's, I'm picking names, but you know, Someone like Akia Lawrence, a Danny Stutzman, the guys who were bought in and, and were, were fits, who right. were already fits. But to bring then guys in from other campuses, players you know, who surely, maybe you know, maybe you get good recommendations from other coaches in the business, but you surely cannot know fully until they get on campus. We've heard coaches talk about that. They've really hit well. I'll, I'll, the other name who got a lot of shine this week is, is Caleb Schaefer probably going to start at right guard and play some mccabe matoyer we spoke to him i i I hope to have something i'll be writing to tell you a bit more about him over the weekend but this is a guy who made 35 starts in four seasons at miami ohio and then came to norman to be a backup and he was asked about that and he just said he never viewed it that way he's not Mm -hmm. he doesn't view it as a starting job or a backup job he views it as what's my role on this team can i what what job can i do Mm -hmm. and Goodness! It was as if Brent Venables was <laughs> yeah. standing there behind him, trying to you know with, with cue cards or in front of him with cue cards. That was another example of, of who these guys are that they brought in, and it's no wonder uh, that they fit the way they have. And whenever wherever we are at the end of this season, telling the story on the Sooners this year, this will be a part of that story: is mm-hmm. the fact that they, they did so well in the portal, and that these guys were, were such impressive fits for what they needed them to be garen we're gonna finish It's always game of garen or gare out you ready let's do it who's got more pressure on them this weekend Look at nationally hmm. ohio state penn state very big game almost feels like the uh the semi to then go play michigan depending on how you look at things who has more pressure on them ryan day at ohio state or james franklin at penn state
1: that's definitely ryan day garen on day
0: I guess I didn't really ask a gearing, gear out question there, but you're gearing on Ryan. i am it for
1: you there, buddy. I, I got you. I got your back.
0: Always good. I know I can always fall back and you'll be there. Uh, U.S. senators talking name, image, likeness, and other issues across college athletics. You gear in or gear out on that?
1: Gear way out on that, man. That's uh, Barry Hansen said it best. I had him on Mind Games last week. The uh, associate AD, former basketball coach, we're all familiar with now, an associate AD in charge of NIL at, o- at Oklahoma State, and I, I, I don't want to repeat the quote because uh, I, I want this to stay PG, not PG 13 rated. But it, it's been tweeted out, and if, if you haven't seen the show, you'll you'll find it, and I think you'll appreciate it.
0: Any so, favorites yesterday from the uh, from the hearings in terms of ridiculous things you heard?
1: I, I pretended it didn't happen.
0: Hmm. <laughs> I just enjoyed, I believe it was Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia. Ah, these kids are so hard to root for now that they make millions of dollars. Really just put it all on the table there in terms mm-hmm. of what the point of all this is. Mm-hmm. We'll move on. Michael Penix, Heisman frontrunner, runner, in or gear out?
1: Gare way in. I'm as, I'm as Garin in on Penix as a Heisman frontrunner <laughs> as I am out on federal intervention, government intervention on NIL.
0: OU is a nineteen and a half point favorite this weekend with UCF. As things stand, Do you gear in or gear out on them covering that?
1: Seems like every time we get to a, an OU spread, I'm right. I'm on the. I'm right on the uh, the edge. That seems right to me. So I, I guess gear in on the number. Um, yeah, I, that is the right number. So if you're asking me if that's the right line, I think I think yes. Um, probably would if it's going to go one way or the other, I would think the Sooners because of just how bad UCS defenses would, would get there. But yeah, it seems right.
0: Some uh, Orlando themed, actually no. I got one more college football question for you. Uh, the four newcomers to the, uh, to the big 12 this year, UCF, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU leads the way right now at four and two. The rest of them are 500 or worse. Garen or gear out on, any of those four making a bowl game this year. Ooh. BYU's back half is not especially easy. Yeah. They're the closest right now at four wins.
1: So you're asking me basically if a second newbie. If any of them, if any of them. Oh, if any, okay. Oh, uh, there's so many bowls. I've got to go guarantee in just because the, the odds are, are in favor of someone in that group qualifying somewhere. I mean, they may not even—they might—they may not play in a bowl game that the Big Twelve's affiliated with, but just is, they're willing to pay the money to go to, to spend on, on traveling, right? So I'll, I'll actually say Garin there.
0: All right, some Orlando-based questions, two Orlando celebrities back to back here. Garin, <laughs> Gar out on Wesley Snipes.
1: Hmm. Garin on um, New Jack City, Wesley Snipes, and I suppose white men can't jump, Wesley Snipes the other stuff gear out
0: Joey Fatone of Insync Fame also uh, a product of Orlando
1: <laughs> I've heard of Insync I have no idea who Joey Fatone is <laughs> so no come on don't do that to me don't, <laughs> don't don't give me that visual um so i guess gear out since i've never heard of him are you talking about Joey Joey from Awesome. we talking about joey something for joey john capoletti's kid brother joey
0: from friends we could do this all day no (laughs) (laughs) joey i
1: mean Mm.
0: all right the last orlando based (laughs) question you in or gare out on disney world how do you feel about theme parks and that one in particular
1: gear out just because I guess I picked the wrong times. Every, every time I'm in Orlando, it's for the holiday season uh, Camping World Bowl or cheese It Bowl, or now it's Pop Tarts Bowl. And it feels like everyone in America has decided to go to, or- to Disney World for the holidays. And so that's not much fun. So, gear out just based on my personal experience, but I've got to give it a shot in the off season. How about that?
0: Last one for you. It's spooky season. Halloween's coming up. I know you're an avid, avid costume wearer on Halloween, but how do you feel about scary movies? Uh, this time of year, gear in or gear out on those?
1: Gear out. Uh, get, I'm sorry, gear in. Where am, what am I saying? All the way, all the way.
0: Any personal favorites?
1: I still love the classic Halloween. It still scares the bleep out of me every time I watch it. The Shining does the same thing. Um, gosh, Insidious, uh, Disturbia. Is that a is that a horror movie? Disturbia. That is, isn't it? Hereditary, holy, holy bleep! I've heard that's like uh,
0: that's been described to me as like one of those hot sauces. that's not even spicy; it's just painful and hurts to eat. Hereditary sounds no fun to me. I'm not a scary movie guy, but I can sit through them. Hereditary, I'm avoiding at all costs. Um, I need. to will a watch alone. Cuddle up
1: with Morgan and watch it and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would All
0: say. right, well, that is gonna do it on the letter and jacket this week. If you haven't subscribed yet, if you like what you heard, please do leave a review. Uh, We will respond. You'll get me responding on reviews. If you want to get a direct line to me, you can do it that way. Uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, you can always find us. And of course, you can get our stuff at selloutcrowd.com. Garen, what are you working on this week?
1: Uh, one player, one problem, one preposterous prediction, and one pick for both OU, UCF, and OSU, West Virginia. An interesting game for the Cowboys up in Morgantown. That's really all I have left. Uh, the stuff that I've got out on the site now is going to stand a lot more coming though between now and Bedlam. Let's just put it that way.
0: Fabulous. Well, I will have probably by the time this is out something out on Dylan Gabriel, his years at UCF, and we'll have tons of coverage from Norman Saturday afternoon. And we'll be back next week on Letterman Jacket.